welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today, I'm chatting with illustrator Joey Ellis. We talk about accepting the wisdom that comes with age and experience, how his career path went from primarily being a designer in agencies to being a full-time freelance illustrator, the evolution of Leaky Timbers from graphic novel to a pitch for a TV show spanning genres and incorporating animation and puppets, Plus, we talk about the workshop and talk he and Luke Flowers will be doing at this year's Creative South, all right after this. I talk about Jack Prince on the podcast all the time, and today isn't any different, except that I want to talk about how much we rely on them at Creative South. Not only has Jack Prince been a longtime sponsor of Creative South and the podcast, but they help us with so many cool things every year. Whether they are making our pop-up displays and tablecloths, or printing our notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. They even printed my Creative South podcast stickers that have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, stock, including full color stickers with full color liner prints for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3 by 3 inch die-cut stickers starting at $149 when you visit jackprince.com. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code PRINCESOUTH18 at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. At Creative South, we love Astute Graphics plugins. Astute Graphics have developed 16 popular and innovative plugins for Adobe Illustrator, leading the way in imaginative tools for vector designers that significantly save time, boost creativity, and achieve amazing results. Popular plugins include VectorScribe, Phantasm, Vector First Aid, Mirror Me, and more, all of which come with a free 14-day trial. Go ahead and give them a try. Astute Graphics currently have 25% off the full Elite Bundle, saving you over $200. Check out www.astutegraphics.com. Hey, my name is Diane Gibbs, and I'm the Creative South Volunteer Coordinator. I'm looking for a few more awesome volunteers. Do you like meeting new people and helping out? Do you like saving $100? Well, then volunteering is for you. It's broken into three two-hour shifts for a total of six hours. Can you pour beers? Can you check IDs? Can you run around and help backstage and in the green room? Just go to creativesouth.com slash volunteers with an S and fill out the form. I will send you the coupon code for your $100 off. It's a ton of fun. It's my fifth year doing it. I hope you'll join me. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please... Help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Joey, thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. I I, I really appreciate you uh, rearranging your schedule and all for my my family vacation and sure and all that. Uh. Thank you for taking me with me on your family vacation. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're welcome. It was really nice having you cart the luggage upstairs and you know all all that uh, grunt work that we made you do. 
Right. <laughs> so let, let's kind of dive into it. Where Where did you grow up? So I, uh, well, I'm currently in Charlotte, and I grew up in High Point, North Carolina, which is about an hour and a half outside of Charlotte. So okay. I've uh, born and raised in North Carolina. Um, and then, of course, my wife uh, is also, she's from the, like, the Raleigh area. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've been in North Carolina forever and, um, we went to school at East Carolina, which is on the coast. Yeah. Um, I, I the, looked at going there for a while when I was, uh, when I was in the college years. They've, they've, it's 20 years ago for me. I don't know what it is for you, but my About God, the same. Yeah. there, there are kids and it didn't, for anybody that's out there, that's very young, that's listening. I think what happens as you get older is there's a certain age where your brain just puts the brakes on. So for me, it's like 17, 18 uh-huh. and you feel like you're 17 or 18 for the rest of your life, uh-huh. but you're really like 40, but you feel like I'm only like 18, but your body's like, nah, dude, like you're way older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you, when you hit 40 and you wake up in the morning feeling worse than you went to bed and you haven't been drinking, you know, that, that's, that's when, you know, uh, that's when reality starts to sink right. in a little bit. <laughs> and so there, there are kids that are in college now that were not alive when I was in college. And that may, I feel like I just graduated and mm-hmm. it's just like, Oh my gosh, that's just it, so much time has passed. Anyway, yeah, um, and it's really interesting too because uh, the program that we went to was was still this was right before the internet really hit. Like sure. when we were, so I went to I started uh, my freshman year was ninety eight. Okay, and it was like internet was for email, and you could like quickly email your parents that you were broke. Like that was the cool thing about the internet. You didn't have to write them a letter. You could actually like, hey, mom, dad, I don't have any more money. And you could send it instantly. Yep. And um, so everything art-wise was still very uh, analog. So we, uh, like in photography, we actually learned all the darkroom uh, processes, all the chemicals, uh, you know, oil painting, watercolors, charcoal drawings, like you name it, we did all it, all of it. And we really did not get into computers until uh, probably like my junior, senior year. Sure. Well, I recently went back to school and it was like all the kids were like 100% digital. It was all like they were just in fee- They were born online. Uh-huh. And it was like they are light years beyond wherever I was. When I, was, <laughs> I, was I was amazed and impressed and humiliated. and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so. know the feeling. And I mean, you like me have kids. So it's, you know. My kids are figuring out stuff on, you know, my phone and things like that quicker than I do. It's, oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh, yes. Yes. And my kids are getting to the age now where I no longer understand the conversations that they're having, which makes me feel even older because I've always felt like I'm very young at heart. But mm-hmm. like they watch a lot of like Twitch streams and they've got a lot of their favorite like uh, video game teams and stuff. I have, I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea who these people are. And I'm just like, I'm in the car just listening to these conversations anyway. So oh, yeah, I, I can't keep up with the Minecraft no. backstory and all that stuff that's going on. So I, I just kind of nod and go, uh, uh-huh, yep. Mm-hmm. That's really <laughs> cool, buddy. <laughs> that's the dad secret. You can't let that out. 
Well, I'm pretty sure my kids aren't listening. So <laughs> they never are. So yes, yeah, so we've been in North Carolina forever. Um, uh-huh. When we, uh, when my wife Erin and I, she's a photographer, and um, when we got married, um, we got very, very young, and then had our first kid very young, and uh-huh. so you know, once you start having kids, you, you start laying those roots down and it, every year that passes, it becomes harder and harder to leave. And sure. I, I think as an illustrator, uh, as a designer and illustrator and as a photographer, you always kind of wish you had gone to these bigger markets mm-hmm. like, uh, and maybe not bigger, maybe that's not the best word, but the more creative markets, uh, you know, the San Francisco's and the New York's and stuff like that. Sure. And, um, we've been really blessed to just make it here in Charlotte. I've, you know, I actually have very few Charlotte clients, um, but, uh, or North Carolina clients, but we've been very blessed to to still be here and want to live here and, and we love it. So I don't know where we'll be once the kids get out of here, but for right now, I think we're going to be in North Carolina. Gotcha. When, so kind of backtracking a little bit, when you were at East Carolina, what were you studying? Were you studying illustration or were you studying graphic design or did they, have, did they was, have a differentiation between the two? It was a differentiation. It was, and I wish I could go back. I'm such a, you know, I think back on my younger days and I was such a lunkhead. Like it was just, I don't, <laughs> you know, it's, you don't know what you have access to until it's already gone. Sure. And, you know, we had, that was such a great school of art and a great library and so many great professors and so many, uh, exhibits that they constantly had going on. And I was just like, oh, bro, I want to play my Dreamcast." Like that was, <laughs> that was me. That still is me, by the way. Sounds just like me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, I went into graphic design in school because they got to use computers and I thought that was really cool. And that's such a lame reason to go into graphic design. <laughs> but at the time it was, you know, in a, in a fine arts school, you're seeing, you know, the, the painting majors in a, they're like from the 1600s. And then you see the printmakers, which are from the 1600s. So you get sure. these really, really old school processes. And then you saw the graphic design school with all their, uh, this was back in the, the, I think it was the, whatever the G3, I forget. They're not called MacBooks anymore. They're power book, power, yeah, the power book. Yeah. Power books. So they were all rocking those black mm-hmm. 10 gig hard drive uh, G3 power books. And I got to tell you, I thought that was the coolest thing. And then, yeah. like, some of the kids had like the external, like, zip drives. Oh, like, yeah. Hooked. Oh, I was like, I'm sold. Whatever, whatever this is, I want to do it. Um, but from a practical standpoint, to me in college, graphic design seemed like the best way to earn a paycheck sure. and also do artwork. Whereas it was, especially even in, in illustration, to some degree, it was like, eh, especially in North Carolina, how do I turn this into? I want an apartment and I want to live on my own and have food and, and you know all those <laughs> Not things. Not live in your parents' and, basement. Right. So to me, graphic design seemed like, okay, this is the closest to business that art seems to be. Let's just do that. It also marries computers. And I love that. So we just, that's, that's what I studied. Um, I was actually not the best student. So in, uh, the way East Carolina works is, and I don't know if they do this anymore now, but when I was there, they had what was called a, a BA. So there were two different versions of a four year degree. There was the Bachelor of Arts, which was the BA, which was sure. more of a, 
a general degree. And then there was the BFA. So the BFA, the F standard for fine. Mm. So you are a bachelor of fine arts. Well, so if you were really, really good, you got your BFA in graphic design or you got your BFA in photography and stuff like that. And you would actually get accepted into those schools. You would have two different portfolio reviews, one to get into the school of art and then a second one to say, get into uh, the individual program. Right. I'm going to be the BFA and it's going to be amazing. And I just, I could not for the life of me get that BFA. So I actually graduated with a BA. Oh. And, um, well, now I feel superior to you because I have a BFA. Right. Well, my <laughs> wife has a BFA and she's <laughs> never mentioned it. And our, I think we've been married for like a hundred years now and she's never wanted <laughs> Um, so I remember at the time thinking that like, that was some huge stain upon me that I didn't have like the best degree. I had like the, the silver medal in degrees. <laughs> And so, you know, going back to like my lunkhead comment, if there's anybody out there that thinks that something that happens to you in school and like college, so if you feel like you have excelled, I, I can't tell you how many BFA kids are no longer working in this profession just for whatever reason. Sure. And I can't tell you how many BAs have gone on to do great things and or at least have steady, uh, steady jobs. And so anybody that's out there uh, that's listening that's in, in school, you know, if you're not quite getting it, I didn't quite get it when mm-hmm. I was in school. And it took me a long time to understand graphic design and what like a, a proper graphic designer should be and, and stuff like that. Um, so if there's anybody that's out there that's really, really struggling, like it'll come. And if something bad happens to your, you know, your college career or something happens to you very early on in your design career where you're just like, you know, maybe I suck at this, maybe I'm not that really good at it. It takes a long time. Like it's, it's okay. There were plenty of times when I was much younger where I was like, I'm just, I don't fit in. I don't, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm at the bottom of the class. I don't feel like this is for me. And it slowly, I, you know, found my way. And, and mm. so it's just, you know, have patience in yourself. Some kids are going to nail it. They're going to understand what a good graphic design student or professional is at 23. Somebody else like me might not hit that until they're like, you know, 40 and like, oh, no, I get it. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. And I'm 42. So <laughs> as I get as I get older, I realize like I know less and less. So or I just forget it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Yes. You, re, you get older, you realize how little, you know. Yes. And on top of that, you realize you're forgetting things, too. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. And it's, uh, you know. You had asked me, I think last year to, to come on and, mm-hmm. and talk. And I just, I was in a, just a place where I was like, again, it was one of those words, like, as you get older, all the advice that you had given previously, no longer valid. Like sure. you've been, you know, I think when you reach our age, you've been in business long enough. Of course, anybody that's listening, that's older than us, just roll on their eyes and that's okay. But you've been in business long enough to see that things do change and things can change business wise that are, you know, are due to decisions that you have made. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just the way the market goes. Maybe the the politics in the air have just changed the way that people that, you know, uh, clients and companies want to spend money. Sure. And that's that's outside your your control. And so. I think last year was really, really challenging. And so it was like, man, all this advice that I have been given, like, this is how you run a proper business. Like that did not apply last year. Mm -hmm. And so I think I'm to a point now where it's just like, you know, when I was much younger, I was just like, oh, here's all this great advice. And I didn't really know what I was talking about. 
now that I'm much <laughs> older and I've kind of seen like, ooh, you know, sometimes you're not in control of, of, of things around you. I'm a lot more hesitant to like give advice. And so anyway, I appreciate the patience for letting me be like, no, nah, I don't want to talk. And then this year be like, okay, I'm coming to this conference. I should, <laughs> I should say something. Well, you know, I, I was, I was a heartbeat away from enlisting uh, Luke Flowers help to just badger you into submission. <laughs> so <laughs> I did, I did tell him to gently ride you to, <laughs> To tell you that you should do it. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think what gets when you are um, anybody that's a creative. Of course, we sing for our supper. Sure. And so it is. It is really difficult. You know, I've got friends that are. Uh, I've got a good friend who is a plumber, and there are times where I wish I had his job. I wish I could do his profession because people's pipes are always going to be clogged. There's always yeah. going to, you know, for the rest of his life, he has work. He and makes more he, an hour than we do. And he doesn't <laughs> have to worry about like, uh, you know, like, Oh, well, you know, my, my personality is really wrapped up in this, you know, C pipe or I don't know what a C pipe is. I just totally made that up. If there's yep. any plumbers that are listening to this, they're going to get so much hate mail. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like we sing for our supper and it's so hard to divorce uh, you know, if you do a logo for a company, sure. it's really, really hard to divorce yourself from that artwork. And so I don't care how professional or you are, how, you know, how experienced you are, if, you know, negative criticism always sticks with you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can hear a hundred positive things and ignore them all. If you hear one negative thing, that's what you carry with you forever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, you, especially if you're freelance, you can really start to kind of beat yourself up a little bit and, and really question like, what am I doing? And again, it kind of goes back to like the college days where you're like, ah, what am I doing? Yeah, so anyway, I forget what your question was. I just wanted to ramble. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. So, so, so kind of going back to, or rather going back to right after college, what mm -hmm. do you, what do you end up doing then? So, um, I, really made the mistake of thinking. So I always loved drawing and, and sure. um, never really studied illustration that much. We had a really great illustration program. Um, Joan Mansfield, who I think may still be a professor there. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, when you get to be my age, all your all the great professors have moved on. Um, <laughs> but she ran a really great illustration program there. And um, so I was lucky enough to have a few classes with her. And, um, she really kind of exposed everybody to all these great illustrators and, and she really tried to marry here's, you know, as an illustrator, here's how you find work. But I, you know, unfortunately didn't take a whole lot of her classes. I was very focused in, in graphic design. Sure. So when I graduated, um, I was like, well, I'm going to get a graphic design job, but I'm so amazing and, and so hireable because I can also illustrate, I can also draw and mm. I am so cool. Look at me. I will find a job tomorrow. So I was unemployed for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask, how long were you unemployed for? <laughs> yeah. Now I did work for some contract stuff. So it sure. wasn't completely, uh, I wasn't completely destitute, but again, I was also a lunkhead. Like you, you were a freelancer in air quotes though. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was still, I was still living uh, with my parents, uh, a year out of college. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the mistake that I made was thinking that people would see that I was talented and then they would just have to have me. And that was just so not the case. That's mm-hmm. still not the case. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that, um, I've always kind of equated, uh, talent to, or the quote, having talent to, and, you know, if you think about in basketball, it's the ability to dribble a basketball. So if you look at LeBron James, he's, he's, he has to be able to dribble the basketball. There's sure. no, there's no question. Like that's not even a question. We don't right. even like, if you were to bring him in, your first question is, Oh my gosh, can you dribble a basketball? Like that's not an issue. Well, the same thing with creatives and talent, like you better have talent. So let's just not even worry about that. That's not some big thing where mm-hmm. you're like, I've got talent. Look at me. So that was always my big mistake when I was very, very young was, you know, I'm so awesome and this is great. I can do both and I'm going to be recognized as, as being both a designer and an illustrator and I'm going to get all this work. And of course I didn't. <laughs> so, um, I really struggled for a very long time, um, for again, for a year, which in the grand scheme of things is, is not that long, but when you're that age, a whole year really just, yeah, you when feel you're in the thick of it, it's, that's a long time you feel like your career's over. And so, um, there was a job here in Charlotte. There was a, there's a design firm here, Bolt. Um, mm-hmm. and anybody who's ever worked as a, as a designer at, uh, in Charlotte has either worked at Bolt or knows someone firsthand who has worked at Bolt. Like sure. it's kind of this, uh, rite of passage kind of thing. And so, um, I, I, I got hired by them in, I think it was March of 2004. Well, I graduated, uh, college in December of 2002. So that was, it was over a year, uh, about 14 months before yeah. I finally got like a real, uh, full-time job that actually paid a salary that actually had, you know, benefits. And, mm-hmm. um, so we, I just threw everything into my car and I moved from high point to Charlotte and I've been here ever since. So I worked at bolt, uh, for two and a half years. Um, and when I was there, we worked primarily like on home improvement. So in this area, we've got Lowe's Home Improvement, which mm-hmm. is their headquarters is very close to Charlotte. So we did a lot of uh, packaging and, and retail stuff for them, uh, store stuff for them, um, and then uh, stuff for Home Depot as well. And, mm-hmm. and um, so I, I worked a lot of that. And that was a rite of passage. Like I learned so much you know, the design work that you were doing was not going to win awards and it wasn't going, it wasn't really like high conceptual stuff, which I think when you're really young, that's what you want. So you're going to like turn your nose up at, you know, I don't want to call it blue collar, but I think at that age you're like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But I think back on that and I think I'm so blessed to have had that experience because there's all these things in retail that you learn, you learn about, how design directly impacts not only your, your client, but how the retail, like how the actual customers Mm -hmm. interface with your design. And it's like, you know, when you, that's just such a rare experience because especially like if you work a lot, like I do now with either, uh, just agencies who are working with the client over here. So I never even talk to the client or I'm working with a client and I don't ever get to see what the retail side is. Like I never see what their data is, you know, after the fact they just, they just, they just never hire me. So there's your data. Uh, <laughs> but, um, back then it was like we would design these packages and store displays for Lowe's and, um, I think Home Depot, I can't remember. 
and we would get customer feedback. And it's like, not only would we get client feedback, but we'd also get like just the mom and dad walking in off the street, their feedback. Uh-huh. And that's so valuable to learn as a designer. Like, you know, and at the time I thought it was really irritating, but now I think back and it's like, oh, it was actually kind of neat. Um, so I was there for two and a half years. And I think my very first job working for them uh, was like designing doorbell packaging. Ooh, so exciting. I, mean, I know, well, you know I was thrilled to get the job for one, but you know, it's like, <laughs> that's not very sexy. I, no. It's always funny. Cause I, I, every now and then you will see like on Twitter, like, Oh, these are the new 30 under 30. And I was like, man, when I was 30 under 30, I was doing doorbell packaging. <laughs> um, I, was but making, I, loved, I, I made a sexy lock for Quickset. Yes. But I, uh, I had such a great experience. I had a lot of great teachers and a lot of trial by fire. And, and, um, you know, I think back and I wish I had been better when I was younger for mm-hmm. them because like they deserved me to be much better, but they took me on when I was like 24. So that, you know, <laughs> if I could go back and slap myself around, I would. Um, <laughs> so then, um, uh, uh, my very good friend who is now, you know, one of, if not my best friend is, uh, Matt Stevens, who's a, you know, yeah, really great designer, illustrator. Well, he worked at another agency in Charlotte and they were work, they were looking for, um, another graphic designer to, to work under him. And so a friend of mine at Bolt said, Oh, you should go talk with Matt and show him your stuff. I think you guys would, would hit it off. So I, uh, did. And, and then, uh, Matt, uh, brought me on to his team, uh, at a place called Hawes design, which is now, I think it's called crafted. Um, but that was here in Charlotte and the, I worked with him for five and a half years Mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it. It was, it was, um, I think back on those years as like some of my favorite years just because I loved the, uh, the staff that we had and like the building we were in was really cool. And, um, you know, working under someone like him who you just like, I mean, he's one of the best designers I've ever seen. And so getting that opportunity, especially in Charlotte, like he was it, that was it. And so I have been so blessed to get to work with him for so long and learn a lot from him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we kind of, it was interesting. We kind of got to a point where, um, he and I, this was kind of the dawn of social media. So this was probably around 2010, 2011. Um, and everything for the two of us kind of hit all at once. So you had, uh, Twitter really take off and mm-hmm. then you had, uh, dribble, uh, kind of come onto the scene. Um, and so the, those two, you know, dribble and Twitter really started to elevate the two of us together. At least I think, um, where, you know, you would, you could, you could post work online and then post work to Twitter and it would start getting, you know, uh, attention. And then you start getting little freelance jobs here and there. And, um, that just kind of changed everything for the the two of us and especially me. And mm-hmm. so it just became kind of one of these things where, um, it got to a point where you start moonlighting, you know, and I'd always, you know, enjoyed illustration, wanted to continue to be an illustrator. Um, and it just kind of got to a point where I was taking on these, you know, these, uh, these very small illustration jobs and they would get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Sure. And it just got to the point where I guess I moonlighted for about a year or so. And it got to the point where it was like the freelance stuff was outweighing the full-time stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, I really loved working with Matt and I, I loved working at the the office that we had, the studio that we had and I liked my boss and everything. And, um, but it was just time to go. I mean, you, I think you can, as a creative, when you want to, you know, if you set these really big goals for yourself, if you're working for like a company, like no one's really going to give you those opportunities. And again, it kind of goes back to me being foolish right out of college where <laughs> if I'm like, I've got the talent, I'm going to be recognized for that talent. And I'm going to, you know, someone's like, Oh my gosh, you can draw. Oh, you need to design all these characters. You need to do all this fun stuff for us. It just never happened. And so I was like, I got to, if I want to do this, I've got to make my, you know, I've got to, I've got to go out on my own. So mm-hmm. the illustration stuff kind of started building up, building up, building up. And I was like, I really want to do characters. I really want to do comics. I want to do books. I want to do games. I want to do all these things. And so finally, I, I think it was in 2012, I went out and started my own thing. And so, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing ever since. I've got uh, in our house, I've got a big uh, room above our garage that I just kind of commandeered and kicked everybody out. <laughs> just filled it with all my, you know, my desk and my toys. And um, so, yeah, and that that's pretty much I've been doing that ever since. So that's my entire life story. And I have kids, by the way, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you and your wife work together, too, though, because I noticed like on the site, you've got her listed as your studio manager, but she's got her own photography career. So how she does, how does that balance out? Well, so she manages me like so that I like I do things with like taxes so I don't get arrested for not paying my taxes. Gotcha. Um, so she is highly organized. Unfortunately, she's too good. Uh, I can't keep her around. That's my problem. <laughs> so she is um, she's a really talented studio manager. And so not only is she you know, a photographer, but she just knows how to run studios. And so she. Uh, is currently uh, with one photographer. I think she's been with her for 10 years or something, and she helps run her business. She's just really, really organized. Mm -hmm. So she, Aaron, has helped me just from a business perspective, like, um, wow, you should really copyright these things. Like without her, I'd have no idea. Like I don't even know what that even means. Or, hey, your taxes are due. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like I've lied you, you know, we've got a meeting with the CPA and she helps me kind of figure out, uh, you know, healthcare and stuff like that, which has been a nightmare, uh, the last couple of years. It's, we've Can't had to imagine keep changing why. it. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about that in the news. <laughs> so, you know, not to get too much in the weeds, but you know, like when we first started our business, um, we were able to afford a, a really good healthcare plan and didn't change for like three or four years. And it was mm-hmm. like, okay, like this feels like we can do this. And then it started getting to the point where whatever we were paying for healthcare, like doubled and then tripled. And it was like, well, we can't afford that. What do we have to do now? And so it got to a point where we were changing every year. So she was, you know, she helps me figure that stuff out. And, um, she actually helps color some things every now and then, like, <laughs> <laughs> but she's so good at, at, you know, helping with other photographers and, and I, I don't know, she's never around. So I'm by myself pretty much all the time. It's a lie. My website is a lie, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in, in this process, you're picking up things and, you know, picking up new clients in different industries and things like that. 
when did the idea for Leaky Timbers come into your head? Because you, you started that off as a graphic novel, right? It did, right. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, again, in, in my naivete, you know, I'd, I'd always uh, grown up wanting to to be like you know Walt Disney and just everybody else does too so sure. I don't want to I don't want to bore everybody with that story but like you know everybody loves the story of like Jim Henson where he creates these characters and then he gets all these amazing opportunities and uh you know he owns all these characters and he makes you know buckets of money and you know the end <laughs> and I was like you know I I feel like that that's what I was born to do was to create these characters and give them these you know really funny personalities and tell all these stories and so again, my naivete, my stupidity, I'm such a great, funny guy who can do all these great you know, characters. The work is just, I'm going to get so many opportunities. I'll be in Hollywood before too long. And of course it never, <laughs> you know, it, it never happened. And so again, it's like, all right, there's this reoccurring thing where it's like, I'm going to have to make my own opportunity. So, um, in 2013, 2014, around there, I was like, all right, I, if I'm going to have a, a Mickey Mouse kind of a character or a Kermit or, or what a Gumby, well, I don't know why it said Gumby. Of all the characters I could have mentioned, it was Mickey, Kermit, and Gumby. I don't know. Yeah, the weird claymation short. Okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to create it my own. Like nobody's gonna come along and give me this opportunity. Like, oh my gosh, you're so funny. Come help us write this cartoon, TV show, movie, whatever. Mm. It's just not gonna happen. No one's gonna rescue me. I'm gonna have to just do this myself. So I was like, all right, well, I really love, I've always loved puppetry. And it's like, oh, whatever character I create is going to have to live in the cartoon world and also be a puppet. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I had always drawn monsters. Um, and I think monsters are always really, really easy if you're feeling kind of creatively dead. Like if you just cannot come up with a really good idea, monsters are drawing, you know, these made up things are always really, really easy because you don't have to worry about anatomy. You don't have to worry about whether or not it looks right. It can just be whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was like, all right, well, my first graphic novel, because I don't know what I'm doing, I've never written a book before. I've never drawn a book before. Let's keep these characters really, really simple. Let's not do some like very realistic Blade Runner esque <laughs> dystopia, you know, on a mean where you know everything has to be photorealistically drawn like a, a traditional comic book. It's like that's not what this is going to be. We're going to go in the opposite direction. Not not to interrupt, but now I want to see Wolfie <laughs> in a Blade Runner series. I think that would be uh, a, a great storyline for him. <laughs> so. You know, with with these uh, little monster characters, it's like, all right, they're super duper simple. Like they're literally ovals and rectangles and triangles. And it's like you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, character reference sheets. Like you just kind of have muscle memory of what they should look like. There you go. Just go with it. <sighs> so uh, that's kind of where Wolfie came from. The idea was let's take I love Sesame Street. And I love the Simpsons. Let's mash those two together and see what kind of shakes out. And so the concept was, you know, on Sesame Street, the camera was laser focused on literally one street. It was just one mm -hmm. block. And so you had this really diverse mix of like humans and Muppets. And it was like, well, what if you zoomed out? Like, what does the rest of that world look like? There are presumably other Muppets in this world. There's got sure. to be. What, what do they look like? And is Sesame street like the desirable street? Like, are there slums in this Muppet 
world? Like, what does that look like? Like, if you were in rent-controlled housing for a Muppet, what does that look like? And so that's kind of where Leaky Timbers came from. And so, um, you know, it's it's really afforded me – the whole Leaky Timbers world has really afforded me the ability to do all these things, um, you know, make puppets, make videos, make comics, make pixel art, make, you know, all sorts of things – where it all kind of lives in this world and it can be all these different, you know, things. And it's like, I own it all. It's so fantastic. There's no rules. I make all the rules. And it's just as an artist, it's been so great to have this world that I can play in that, Mm. um, you know, it's just, it's mine. And I just, you know, it's a lot of fun. And so, um, I first started working on the graphic novel. Now, had you, had you done any sequential art up to this point? Never had like, I mean, yes, like I did like a comic strip in college, but it was a disaster. Like, oh my God, like I would, I think I still have some of the original ones, but they should be burned. (laughs) But I mean, there was never anything. I would draw three panels and get bored. Like, oh, I'm never going to do this. So I don't know why I was like, I thought I could do a graphic novel, but for whatever reason, you just, sometimes you just get so inspired to make something. It just kind of happens. So, um, started working on the first, you know, Leaky Timbers book and I was like, oh man, I'm going to get published. And of course, you know, nobody wanted it. Sure. And it was terrible. Like, you know, I shouldn't say that cause I'd still want people to buy the first book. It's not terrible. It's homely. Let's call it that. <laughs> so, um, it's black and white because again, since it's the first book, let's not worry about color. Let's just see if we can make a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course, you know, no one wanted to publish it. No one wanted to be my agent, you know, whatever. That's fine. So we took it to Kickstarter and my friend, Matt Stevens had previously done a very successful Kickstarter. And so again, I was able to learn a lot from him and sure. kind of take it, take it to my Kickstarter. Um, and so, uh, you know, with Kickstarter, you have the video. And so I was like, man, I do not want to be the one on video with like this really crappy camera. And it's like, it's just my big fat head and I'm begging for money to make this weird puppet comic. (laughs) I was like, what if we actually just make, you know, what if we bring one of the characters out and let them do it? How would we do that? So we talked about animation and I was like, we got to do puppets. Like, that's just what we've got to do. So, um, there's a, uh, a puppet maker in Virginia, Phil Hatter, Mm-hmm. Um, who I got in contact with and he, uh, worked with me to design the original Wolfie, uh, puppet. And that was just so much fun. So I designed the Muppet or the puppet. I should have called it a puppet, I guess. And, um, yeah, there might be some copyright issues around that. Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I don't even know if they even use the Muppets anymore. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he helped me kind of design this puppet based on all these old Sesame street references. Cause I don't know what any of the materials are called. Sure. And so I was able to like pull like, Oh, well, I want this to be like Oscar's fur and I want this element from Bert, you know, all these kind of things. And so he was able to kind of translate those and say, Oh, well that's what this is. And that's what that is. So, uh, he made the original Wolfie. And so I started making videos, the Kickstarter videos with Wolfie. And that was just tremendous fun, you know, learning a lot about uh, video editing and making these videos and, um, you know, really deep diving into how Henson did a lot of his stuff with the monitors on the, you know, I'm on the floor with the, with the monitors, you know, watching what I'm, you know, what the camera is seeing and, um, everything is in reverse. So if Wolfie moves this way, the camera shows him moving the other way. So you mm-hmm. kind of got to get used to that kind of thing and, um, getting used to like the, the arm atrophy. So like if you 
are out of shape uh, and you're holding your hand up too long, your hand will start to lose control and it looks like the, the puppet's having a stroke on the screen. <laughs> um, but just there's so many things that I learned, like, you know, aiming the face right at the camera and, and trying not to like wobble back and forth. Mm. That's really difficult to do. You, you watch a lot of the Henson stuff, uh, especially like the Muppet Show stuff, and it's just – you think it's very, very easy. And then you get in there and it's like, my God, I can't even get through a sentence. This is so hard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the book was successful. We, we got the money to print that. So we've, we printed that and, um, then continued on with more puppet videos because that was a lot of fun. And so it was interesting because you ended up having two different audiences. You had some people that really liked the, the puppets and then you had some people that really liked the comic. Um, so we were like, well, let's just keep rolling with both of these and just kind of see where they go. So again, once the book was done, started doing comic conventions, trying to get agents, trying to get people like, hey, you want to buy this? You want to, you know, this would be such a great series. Nobody was interested. And so we're like, well, let's let's just keep making puppet videos just for fun. Sure. And they are so time consuming and there is zero money in them. Like it's just it's. I used to get really bent out of shape when people were like, oh, you should just put these on YouTube and continue to make them, you know, just for YouTube. It's like, I mean, you have no idea to make like a five minute puppet video of that's of any quality. That's probably half a day to a day of just filming and getting all the props put together. Mm-hmm. You're looking at probably a week to cut a good five to 10 minute video, if not longer. I can see and that. With YouTube, yeah. And with YouTube constantly, like if you look at what the successful channels are, it's just people with like a camera, like what you and I are doing, but yeah. they're just, they're playing a game or something. That's it. They're able to constantly kick out all this content. Well, I can't do that. So you've got to have funding. You've got to have, you got to have some real money behind these videos. So we're like, okay, let's, I, I had gotten into this habit where wherever I would go to a conference, I would make a, a video based on whatever, whatever city I was in. And that Mm -hmm. was always fun. Wolfie would come on and kind of give a lecture of what the city, you know, give a little documentary and it was always a disaster. (laughs) Um, and I would do little videos here and there just for friends and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, I'm tired of making all this stuff. Let's actually do something legitimate. Let's actually put a real budget together and let's put a real script together and let's actually farm out because at this point I'm doing all this by myself and it's like I can use some help. Sure. So uh, Seth Worley, who's a really great director, a uh, friend of mine, uh, agreed to come uh, help me and figure out like, well, let's make a TV pitch. Let's pitch this to different networks. And um, at this point I'd had a, a, an agent come along to say, hey, let me help sell this for television. So, um, we were like, all right, this kind of feels like we're getting some traction going. So let's, uh, really put some steam behind this thing. So of course Luke flowers came out and Andy Miller agreed to perform and, um, it was tremendous fun. It was a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I really found that I think what my big dream is, I love, you know, telling stories and creating characters, but I want to work with a team. Like I want to bring in, uh, people that are way better than I am at what I do. Mm-hmm. And cause I think it just elevates ideas and it, it makes you better and then it makes them better. And then collectively you can make something that's way bigger than you could on your own. And I absolutely fell in love with that. 
so we we made the TV pitch video and um, shopped it around and got some you know got some interest and then that was it. It, it just kind of went by the wayside and that was uh, all of last year. I think we were kind of hoping that we would something would fall into place and and um, you know maybe it would lead to you know to some commercial work or something. Mm-hmm. Um, cause again, anybody that, you know, knows Henson's work is he did a lot of early commercial stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that was kind of, you know, like, oh, it would be really cool if we got to do some online, you know, some Twitter weirdness for, for that. Um, so yeah, nothing's really happened with the, the, the leaky timbers puppet side. I know it will. Like I, I just, I know it will. I'm just frustrated that it has taken so long to, sure. to, to for well, any to yeah, happen. You've poured your heart into it and. Put so a lot of work into it. So that, that makes sense. Right. But we're going to get more opportunities. I just know we will. So the, the, the next book will be coming out with scholastic, which is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. So that will, uh, maybe come out next year. Um, making a legitimate, the next book is going to be uh, 128 pages. So it's a brand new story, all new artwork. It's going to be in color this time. Um, <laughs> And, uh, I am so thrilled to be with Scholastic and, you know, to me, they are the, if you've got a, a character driven book, like you want someone like them to, you know, bring them into the fold. Cause they just, they know how to take care of those characters. Um, but it takes so long to do a legitimate book. Like when you have a real editor and you have a team behind you, uh-huh. you really want to do your absolute best work. Well, your absolute best work takes forever. So I'm currently, uh, we've been working on it at least a year, if not longer. Um, so I'm currently like in, in revising, uh, the pencils for, for things. And I say pencils, I draw everything digital, but it looks like a pencil. So whatever. Um, and it just, I'm doing like, uh, maybe a spread a day, maybe two, if I'm lucky. And it is everybody at classic has been extremely patient, but I'm so impatient. I like, you know, I want to just push a button and have everything out. So I think once that's once that new book hits, I think it'll open more doors to to more opportunities with that property and and we'll just see what shakes out. Gotcha. When you're working on the book and through that process, do you do you write out the script first for it or do you start with illustrations and use that to generate ideas for where you want to take the story? It depends on whether or not it's a new book or it's a, uh, a book in a series. And sure. again, I'm talking like I'm an expert. I've got one book that hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> so everybody just take a breath. Like everything I say, grain of salt people. Um, so when you've got existing characters, there's a lot, um, there's a lot less that you have to draw in order to convince an editor or, or whoever to to do the book or, or whatever. So with this particular book, um, uh, the pitch was, I think, a, a one page treatment. This is what the story is going to be about. Mm-hmm. And so there was no new artwork that I went, you know, that I used to help pitch the book or anything like that. It was literally just the synopsis of what this book's going to be about. And so they're like, all right, let's do it. And so then the next step was me actually writing. And so I am not a writer. I have never learned how to write. I've never been <laughs> asked to write. I mean, I can write emails, sort of. But like, you know, having an, a legit editor saying, all right, let's write this thing. And I'm like, wow, what is this? Because I tend to, 
I think I'm really good at like writing jokes or like writing, you know, funny scenarios and stringing them together. I can take two different characters and put them into a funny situation. Sure. And that's the extent of my writing. So with the very first Leaky Timbers book, all it is is just one little weird situation after another. There's no real plot. There's no real character arc. It's like you've got these very one-dimensional personalities. And so for the new book, uh, Adam Rao was my editor at Scholastic, and he's been so patient. He's been so fantastic. So when the book, when the new Leaky Timbers book finally comes out, um, which, by the way, we don't know if that's what it's going to be called. We may, I think they would like for me to choose a different title to just – uh, help explain what the book really is about to our younger readers. Mm-hmm. Not that it won't happen in the world of Leaky Timbers. Everything's the same. It just may not be called that. Sure. So at this point, I don't even know what the book's going to be called. But <laughs> he had, he, you know, I would write stuff out and he would critique the book in a way that was not like, this sucks, you need to start over. He was very good at like, I love these ideas. You have structured it incorrectly. So what you've written here really needs to happen under here and over there. And, and you set this situation up, which is really great, but how do they get there and all that kind of stuff. So he was really great in helping me understand like how you build a plot, which I know anybody out there that writes is rolling their eyes right now. But oh, to I me, can't it do was, it, so I'm not rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, uh, you know, learning how to write a simple plot-driven story. And not that the new Leaky Timbers is going to have much plot. It's still going to be as dumb as, and as stupid as, as the original book. Um, but it will have some essence of a plot. There's an actual story. Um, but yeah, like, so now because I've gone through that process, you know, I will watch movies and try to understand, uh, I'll try to start to break down what I'm looking at and what the different devices being used are. And that's really fun. It also ruins the movie experience because sure. you have no idea what the movie's about, but you know how they got there. Yeah. Um, so that's just been a really rewarding experience. I am so excited for that book to come out and I hope it's next year. I've really got to hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. Uh, so I'm also working on another series. Um, so Capstone is a publisher in, in Minnesota and they've got sure. me doing a new series of books where I'm only the illustrator. And so um, that's been really cool too, to work with, a different writer and just do the illustrations and have them really trust me to take these illustrations and, and, um, tell the story through those kind of things. And it's more of a chapter book. So it's really fun to work on this big graphic novel and then also do these chapter books all mm-hmm. at the same time. they're very, very different and I'm learning a lot and I've never done any of this kind of stuff before. And, um, it, it does feel good that, you know, the, the things that you have been working so hard, to get to, you feel like there's traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel like there's, you know, you're not writing the Harry, the next Harry Potter. That's okay. <laughs> but you're, you've got these amazing opportunities and you've got these great people that are letting you do what you do. And it's so fantastic. Um, and then the other big, you know, comic news is that, uh, so boys life has signed me on to do a, a, a running comic strip with, uh, all about these little lions Mm-hmm. And the main character is a girl, and that's really exciting because boys or uh, Cub Scouts is now allowing both boys and girls into the fold, 
And, and so, and, to, and for those who aren't familiar, Boys Life is the scouting magazine for yes, Boy Scouts sorry. of America. Right, right, right. So when you are a scout, you get a uh, you pay a small membership fee or a subscription fee, and you get the Boys Life magazine, which now I guess they're going to call it Scouts Life. I don't know if they didn't ask mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, but yeah, so that's that's going to be ongoing. So it's fun to have really big, huge cinematic graphic novel. And then also like a reoccurring comic strip, mm-hmm. uh, happening. And then these chapter books happening. And it's, um, some days it's like all right on top of each other, which is not <laughs> best, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, it, it does feel really good. And again, like, um, so I'm 38, I think, you yes. think, <laughs> whatever at this point it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, one, one year closer to the grave. Sure. And so, Again, anyone out there that's feeling like they're older and and maybe their career has not like gotten on the track that they wish they had had, like it'll come. Like it's everybody kind of goes at their own pace, and and um, so yeah, I think when Leaky Timbers finally hits shelves, that'll be like my first real professional book, and I'll be forty, thirty nine, something like that. So mm-hmm. you know, whatever, it's cool. <laughs> So through all of this, you know, you've you're, you're on top of all of the illustration stuff. You still do client work that's outside of illustration as well. That, that that's actual design. Mm-hmm. You know how how do you go about switching your brain from project to project? Because I know for me, I have a hard time when I get into something switching gears to do something else. And it, it takes me a while to transition. How does that process work for you? Um, I think it's actually very, very helpful. I think if you are, I'm always very satisfied creatively when I've got like, uh, let's say it's an editorial illustration. Um, I do a lot of, um, illustration for highlights magazine. So everybody should know, what highlights magazine is. And if you don't know what highlights magazine is, that means you have not been to the dentist in a long time. Because yes, that's always like a really like, like I've never heard of highlights. I'm like, I bet you've got some bad teeth (laughs) anyway. Um, so I always like working on that magazine because it's kind of a, a, a get in, have some fun and get out. Like there's not a real commitment to like, Oh, I've got to live with this for, for months and months and months. It's, you know, you get in, have some fun, work with the editors and then, and then get back out. Mm-hmm. And I'm always really satisfied creatively when I've got a project like that. And then you've also got like a big branding project, like I do a lot of, um, uh, mascot stuff and where it's very designy and very, uh, you know, like, Oh, this has to be on brand and we're the PMS watches. And that's my <laughs> design voice, by the way. And so I don't know, it's just, I think it really helps to kind of switch gears, mm-hmm. um, to leave one style behind, switch to another style or a completely different thought process, work on that for a little while and then switch gears and go back to like comic stuff and then switch gears and go back to very corporate design kind of stuff. And I think that you start to see different things when you go away. I I know for me, um, I really struggle with like, if I'm drawing a picture, let's say it's a picture of a a person running. Um, I will, just instinctually draw one arm fatter than the other arm. Like I just can't help it. I don't know what's (laughs) wrong with me, but that's just what happens. Or like, uh, one arm will be just really long and the other arm won't be, or like one of the legs will be really long and the other one won't be. And I just, I don't know what's wrong with me, but that's just, that's my struggle. 
if I'm in the heat of the illustration and I don't get out of it and switch gears, I won't notice that until way down the road. But if I am doing a drawing and I'm sketching something up and then I switch over and do something a little bit more corporate and then switch back to the illustration, I can immediately see, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? That leg is like half the, you know, as, as thick as this guy's head. That's weird. <laughs> so for me, it's always very helpful to switch gears. I don't know how I do it. It's just, I think some people can, can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think other people just like, nope, I want to do my one thing. I'm good with this one thing. I'm, I'm I don't want to switch out. So, yeah, I, I, I like switching. It just takes me a while to ramp back up to speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually prefer to work on multiple things. So I have, you know, that opportunity, but that um, safety net of having multiple things too. Like oh, I've got multiple paychecks. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is definitely nice. Um, especially when you have kids. Ah. <laughs> so re- real, real quickly, cause we're, we're getting kind of close to our time here. Um, I, I want to talk about the, well, you're wearing it on your head. The, the, oh, the, yes. the, the, the redrawing of the Panthers logo that happens every, uh, every football season. How did that come about? (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) Um, I don't remember at all. I think I just was, I don't know. Were you like bored watching a football game and just started? No, like I've never, I've actually never drawn, uh, for anyone that's not familiar. So, um, I'm a really big Carolina Panthers fan. And, um, on Sundays I would always draw, redraw the logo in all these silly different ways. So Mm. if, um, you know, you have like a celebratory avatar, so he's real happy. Or if you, you know, you've got a mad version of the Carolina Panther logo, what does that look like? Um, so it just kind of evolved from that. And I, um, I don't know, like there's not some big scheme. It was just like, Oh, this is so funny. I'm going to do it. That's literally what happened. And, (laughs) you know, it just, it got a good reaction and it, um, what's really dumb is that every year I like try to like make them better. And the reason that's so stupid is that they will change stylistically. And so it doesn't allow me to go back and use some of the older ones in the library, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the first year I did it, I think I ended up with like 120 oh, like different, different versions of the Panther logo. And, and some were really funny. There's only and great. 16 games through the season. I know. <laughs> yeah, but when you tweet as much as I do, you sure. need like 12 different emoji, whatever, throughout the season. Um, or however many, you know, 12 per game or whatever yeah. it was. And um, some were really good and some were really horrible. But um, – and then the next year, I'm like, oh, this year I'm going to animate them. And then there was like 20 of them because it takes so long to animate them. And yeah. so every year, whatever. And then like they would be drawn better. And then there was like fewer and fewer because it would just take me longer and longer to do them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun because you get a good reaction from uh, Twitter and everybody has fun with it. And um it led to some opportunities with the team. It's the dumbest thing. Like, it's not like, Oh, you should, everyone should go try this. Like, no, this is a really dumb way to, (laughs) to go do stuff. Um, the best thing to ever come out of it was, um, I did one around the time where, um, the force awakens, the, the Mm -hmm. first, the JJ Abrams star Wars Mm -hmm. came out. And so, um, we, uh, I worked with, uh, Ryan Khalil, who's, uh, on the team, um, 
said we should take i did an avatar of the panther logo as chewbacca and he's like oh man we got to make that into a t-shirt and so uh we made a t-shirt and 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 gave the proceeds to charity and and it it really went viral it Mm -hmm. it was nuts and it, it got all the way um i mean it was it was everywhere it was the dumbest thing like it was Really exciting, but I was also like, "Please, Lord, don't let this be like my 15 minutes. Like, this is not what <laughs> don't I signed let this up define for." Me. <laughs> yes, like this is not what I want to have like blow up. This is not what I want to, you know, have be the great success of my career. Um, but it was really neat because the best thing to happen was um, Peter Mayhew, who of course plays Chewbacca, got yeah. one of the T-shirts, and uh-huh. there's a there's an image of him on Twitter with him wearing it. I think and I saw it was that. just like, yeah, it was just this weird, like, all right, like I'm done. Like that will be the the best thing that I can ever do is to have like Chewbacca wearing some dumb Twitter avatar <laughs> thing that I, that I designed. Um, but yeah, like that whole dumb thing led to, um, projects with the Panthers and projects with, uh, the head coach Ron Rivera, who's fantastic. And I've gotten to know his family a little bit and, um, got to do some branding stuff with him. And, and it's like all of that came out of me just being like, oh, man, wouldn't this be silly to do this on Twitter? So, you know, you just and not that you, you could try that again today and it wouldn't work. Like for whatever reason, it was just the right place at the right time. And that thing just happened to work. So I think if you've got a creative urge and we all get them where it's like, oh, my God, I've got to draw a picture of a cow. Mm-hmm then just go draw that picture of a cow, just get it out of your system and then just do something with it. And it may lead to something else down the road and it may not lead to real work, but it might lead to something like, Oh, I'm I'm feeling more creative today or it might lift your spirits or that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, man, I would, I would always just any, any time you feel that creative urge to do something, I would, I would go for it. Gotcha. I think you are missing a prime opportunity to be very meta with the Panther. Now that the black Panther movie is out, you I know mean, we missed it. I mean, it's still in theaters. I think you could. Uh... What's tough, though, is that in <laughs> sports and anybody that does that works with uh, major league sports teams or any sports teams for that matter, if they are in the off season, it's like it's like doing a piece of art and throwing it in the ocean. Like sure. it's just, if it's in and winning is everything. So if you go, if you have a losing team forget it. Don't worry about it. But if, if, uh, I don't know, know, unless your loses spectacularly is the Browns. Browns are on a different planet. Whatever the Browns are doing, it's not even losing anymore. Like, I think we're we're all rooting for them. Like we are, we, everyone is, everyone is a Browns fan. Yes. Come on guys, like get it together. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like I really think that sports and art is just an untapped market. Like I just, I've, I see so many talented designers and illustrators doing amazing things with, um, the sports industry. And it's, uh, it is not celebrated enough. Like there's mm-hmm. just so many people out there that, that do a great thing. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun and it's a great way to, uh, be a fan and be an artist at the same time. Gotcha. Well, ra- wrapping up real quickly, Aside from the new yet to be titled Leaky Timbers book and uh, the illustration project you're working on for the other book, mm-hmm. what what exciting do you have coming down the pike that you can um, talk about? <laughs> trying to think. 
it's not that I'm that busy. I'm trying to just like, my <laughs> brain is just like the wheel in my brain has stopped spinning. So it's trying to, to turn back up. Yeah, it is 10 o'clock at night. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, I've got some just weird little personal stuff I'm going to do. It's uh, everything has been kind of like frozen since this book. I mean, this book has, has just eaten up all of my time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to get, getting through this, the Leaky Timbers book. Um, I've got some, some interesting like self initiated, uh, puppet projects that I might be doing through Instagram, uh, after probably like in sometime in April and May, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Skillshare, uh, asked if I would be like one of their ambassador, uh, things. It's, it's just one of those things where it's just like, Hey guys, sign up for Skillshare. And then I get like a commission based on how many people sign up for an account. Sure. And I was like, they're like, why don't you use like Instagram stories to help us sell that? I'm like, you know, I could turn that into some sort of a puppet thing. So there's some stuff in the works, um, just through me, they, not through Skillshare. They don't know this is coming. So, (laughs) um, I do the same through through the podcast. So I understand. (laughs) So that's, that'll be fun. Um, and then, uh, gosh, I guess the most exciting thing is, uh, I know the minute I get off with you, I'll, I'll remember like, Oh my God, I'm going to be the next, <laughs> like, I'm going to be Tom Cruise's best friends. Or just, I don't know. Um, I don't know why that would be like, a, a I'm career not sure that you. that would be a great thing. I, I, Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I like if his movies. Called, I don't know that he's the guy I want to hang out with. <laughs> Tom Cruise. If you are listening to this, I will be your friend. Just FYI. Um, we've got creative South coming up. So, yeah. It would be remiss if we didn't talk about that. So Luke Flowers and I, who is uh, slightly taller than me, if you see us together, um, <laughs> we are going to be going to create. I'm going to ask how tall you are. I'm six one. I think. Oh, okay. So see, I'm already tall, and I think I'm so cool and awesome. And then he comes in, and he is super nice, and everybody loves him, which mm-hmm. is incredibly irritating. Like I cannot stand him when we are together, like in a group. <laughs> Because everybody, like, if you have a friend where everybody's like, oh, I think flowers, that's what it's like. And they just flock to him because everybody just loves him to death. And I just, I'm left out in the cold to rot and die. So anyway, um, we are going to be at uh, Creative South together. We're going to be doing an onstage talk uh, about um, kind of like dispelling the myth of, of, of romance in artwork where – Um, you know, you think back on your creative heroes and it's like this, it's a highlight reel and it's, it feels very romantic. And it's like, in reality, it's not when you're in the weeds, when you're in the thick of it, it's not romantic. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. And every single person that we idolize has gone through that. It's not romantic. Like, and I'm sure they idolized somebody who was, you know, romantic. So we really want to kind of dispel this thing where it's like, you know, like, oh man, I wish this felt more like this person. Well, done. Like, it, it never will. Like, if you are in the thick of something, you're doing it the right way. Um, so we're going to be talking a lot about that, and then we'll talk about our, our TV pitch uh, video and kind of showing some behind the scenes. Um, and then we're also going to be doing a workshop together. Um, we're going to talk a lot about if you want to get published. Um, or are interested in, you know, like publishing graphic novels, mm-hmm. uh, picture books, um, comics, chapter books, all that, all that kind of stuff. And they're all very, very different in the publishing world. Um, we're just going to talk about our experiences and what we have seen 
um, how we do what we do. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily advice just because everything changes so quickly, uh, in the industry, in the publishing industry, but it'll be a lot of kind of here is how we got to where we are with various things. And again, Luke's way ahead. He's got like a half a billion books already. Sure. Um, but you know, I, it, if I were interested in publishing and I really didn't know where to begin, it would definitely be a workshop I would be interested in. So we're going to try to be as revealing as we possibly can be. And, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a really good time. Of course, we're going to bring, uh, all these different puppets. Like we're going to have Wolfie there and some of the other leaky timbers characters. And then I think we've got, um, two new puppet characters that we're, we're making, uh, specifically for creative South. Oh, nice. I don't know why we're doing this. This is the weirdest. It is, it is the weirdest thing. Uh, our friend Blythe Russo is, is making them for us and she's been so great and so patient. Um, so anyway, it's, it's going to be weird, man. So you, you're not going to want to miss it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Joey, thank you so much for oh, uh, taking the time to chat with me tonight. Anytime. I really appreciate it. Anytime. And uh, go ahead and hug some necks. You can find out more about Joey on Twitter at Joey Ellis. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod. And follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code PrinceSouth18 at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. Astute Graphics currently have 25% off the full Elite Bundle, saving you over $200. Check out www.astutegraphics.com. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And... Remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.